Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you with us here today at First Christian Church. Those who are here in the West, great to see you in the East. Very good to see you as well. And also, people who are watching in Lovington and participating in worship there, we're very glad you're with us. My name is Wayne Kent, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, again, glad you're with us. If you'd take your Bible, please, and turn to uh, Romans chapter 3. If you are in the West or in Lovington, you can see some page numbers of the Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. In the east, there's some people moving around right now who'd be glad to put a Bible in your hand. It's about, oh, I don't know, seven-eighths of the way through the scriptures. While you're looking for Romans chapter 3, just an observation I have of what's taking place in our nation this week. I understand that one of the national pottery, lottery pools, have you been paying attention to this? They've kind of grown to some, is the Mega Millions thing has grown to some astronomical figure. And my understanding is if you win it this week, do you know how much you're going to win? $1.6 billion. Not $1.6 million, but $1.6 billion. That's a ton of money, isn't it? I don't know what. I've never had that much money. I've never had $1.6 million, but there you go. It's a different matter. And it's a lot of money. And um, if, you, if you take it all at one lump sum, apparently they're going to give you $900 million or so. Uh, Listen, I always, you know, when these big numbers come along, we, 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 we ask the questions, how would that change family life? Do you think? Pay off the house, maybe? Would you quit your job? Nah. On the other hand, moving to Fiji where it's always sunny sounds interesting, right? Or, um, <laughs> here's the question. If you get $900 million, do you pay a tithe on that? Look at me, look at me. I'm the preacher here. Do you pay a tithe on that? Yeah. Of course, then the bigger question is, is it pre-tax or post-tax? Because you've got to look at me again. <laughs> pre-tax. Because apparently in the long run, you end up with about $500 million. And if that's you this week, let's have a chat. I'll give you my cell phone, all right? By all means. I often wonder, okay, so if you're responsible for donating $100 million, that's a pretty tall order, right? I mean, that's going to take a lot of... Uh, that's almost in and of itself a full-time job. I mean, if you had to give away $100 million a year, you, you could probably do that and be sheriff at the same time. <laughs> For those of you who are watching online, we have a gentleman who is our sheriff who is a billionaire and he has to give away approximately $100 million a year, and so the city gets a lot of money, but that's another story. That's why that's where that came from. So... Um, if you do end up with $500 million, uh, financial planners say you should plan to spend of that $500 million. You have to manage your money correctly and not spend more than 4% a year, which at $5 million is how much? Quickly, $20 million. You'd have to live on $20 million a year. Could you manage that? I think, uh, let me just say this. I think life would change, absolutely, but maybe not always for the better. I mean, just think of how many relatives you suddenly have, <laughs> right? And how many institutions and people who would knock on your door every day looking for some help. And yet, despite that struggle, who are we kidding? There are many who would say, give me a shot at it. 
I'll take a run at it. Let me see what it's like, okay? Because, um, I mean, we'd say, I'm willing to try that kind of change in my life. But there are other changes in our life that I think all of us can take on, and I want to talk with you about that today. I mean, not things like, I'd like to change, like, I'd like to be taller, or I'd like to be tall enough so that my body weight matches, matches my height. That'd be a good thing, right? Or um, I'd like to change my home. I'd like to change my intellectual abilities because I, I always feel like I'm lost and I would like to understand more things. Um, in other words, people would say, I'm looking for a change. I want something to be different tomorrow. I'd like a change in my future. I'd like, sometimes just say, I would like some better options for what's coming my way. Well, friends, I've got some really good news for you today, if that's your thought. Christians believe that change is part of our lives. We believe that our tomorrows will be better than our todays. In fact, we believe, Christians believe, that that sort of change was initiated by God. We believe God looked at the story of humanity, looked at the history of humanity, and said, this isn't going the way that's best, and that God planned for better days. Now, Truthfully, we all know that humanity and each of us as individuals have a ways to go to experience all that God-planned change. But I've got some really good news. That change, that beginning potential, that beginning endeavor of God's work in your life has already started if you follow Jesus Christ because a dramatic moment occurred in all of history when Jesus Christ showed up on the earth. Because here's what Christians believe. Christians believe that Jesus' ministry, namely his life, his death, and his resurrection, we believe that those series of events or that event as a t in total, that that was the catalyst for a better world and, in fact, a better you. We believe God wants you to have a better tomorrow, and that better tomorrow is available through Jesus Christ, not through the odds of winning the lottery, whether or not that comes your way. That's what we believe. And what, when, when I'm saying that today, be mindful of this, that we are involved in this sermon series called Tell Me More, and we have more than a dozen churches across the community, all, if you will, preaching the same similar message today, all of us focusing on Jesus Christ and this passage of scripture from Romans chapter 3 that we're going to look at in a moment. It's a show of unity across a lot of congregations of a variety of different denominations, from Christian church like us to, uh, we've got some Lutheran churches involved, some, um, some Pentecostal congregations, some Baptists, some Methodists across, a whole variety of groups. It's an occasion for us to bring clarity to some ways in which we have like and similar theology, so I'm glad you're with us. And for, for, for me to say, okay, what are we saying then about, and what are all these churches saying about this business of change and a better tomorrow? Let's start with how Jesus is the catalyst of that change. Look at scripture with me. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 22. Paul the apostle, one of the premier writers of the early church, had this to say. Verse 22. Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, everybody, regardless of your race, regardless of your background, you're not quite measuring up to what God has for you. All, and then, all those sin people are also justified freely by his grace through a gift of grace. And we are justified through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God 
did something in Jesus, in other words. Here's what did. Here's what God did. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. There were sins. What were we going to do with those sins? So there was, an, there was an offering. There was a payment of those sins. Namely, Jesus Christ died through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. How do you get that in your life? You do it by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. He justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And I'm, I'm quite aware that for most of us, we go, okay, that's a lot of words. That's a lot of stuff. You got the atonement business in there. You got righteousness. You got blood. You got grace. You got falling short. And, and it's what's going on there? Well, frankly, friends, it has to do with Jesus and humanity. And let's start with how this applies to Jesus, okay? Because this describing why Jesus came and what happened. And it's different than most people think in terms of why Jesus came. Because there are all sorts of Jesus, different versions of Jesus, if you will. Uh, if you were to ask people at random, can you describe Jesus? You'd hear some different understandings of who Jesus is. For example, some might say, well, Jesus is a fire extinguisher. They may not use that language, but that's how they think of him, that he's um, over there in, corn, in the corner. And in the case of some emergency, someone knows how to go find that red canister and how to use it. And this is Jesus. He's like, right, in the case of emergency, we'll, we'll, we'll go to Jesus and we'll, we'll let Jesus take care of it. But for the most part, he's out of mind. Like, if you're sitting here today in any of the three rooms, Where's the fire extinguisher? You don't give it a lot of thought at the most, for the most part until the fire comes along. You go, where's the fire extinguisher? And you go for it, all right? There's another type of Jesus that some people believe in or expect him to be, and that is the, the genie Jesus. Say the right prayer. Rub it the right way. And if you do everything correctly, Jesus will grant all of your wishes. He'll give you everything you want. And it's like Jesus is here simply to serve you. Your thousand wishes is my command. Or some believe in a much more serious and stern Jesus. A, G a Jesus who is a judge and a jury and then an executioner. And all that Jesus wants to do is to find out he hates people who don't do right and he's out to make their lives miserable and to send them to hell. On the other hand of the jury Jesus and the executioner Jesus, he got, if you will, the hippie and happy Jesus. Oh, it's all lovely. And the, you know, and... <laughs> And we go, okay, you, whoever you are, it's fine by me. You just stay as you are. You don't have to change anything. What's cool with you is cool with me. Watch Jesus is correct. Fire extinguisher, the genie, the executioner, the hippie and happy Jesus. Which one is the right? I mean, they can't all be right, correct? Well, let's go back to see what Scripture says and, and, and to think about where we land in that, because Timothy Keller puts it this way, in the last two decades, there's been an explosion in spirituality. Everyone is interested in Jesus, but on their own terms. But here's the irony. If you just have a Jesus that you want to shape, a Jesus you shape, a Jesus you make up, one that fits your desires, a Jesus for your own, ironically, can't really change you. That Jesus can't transform you. Why? Because the Jesus you make up can't challenge you, can't contradict you. Why? Because he's exactly in your shape and he's kind of like you. But frankly, friends, I need a Jesus that's way bigger than that. 
I need, a, I need a God who is far bigger than I am, who has way more insight into life than I have. So who is this Jesus that Christians honor and worship? Can anyone really answer that question? Christians typically say, well, yes, of course we can. We can go to Scripture. But what if you don't believe the Bible? What if you say, well, uh, fair enough, that's what Christians say about Jesus, but isn't that Christians just going along with what the Bible says? What about Jesus outside the Bible? How, how can we never see of Jesus outside the Bible? Can I tell you, friends, the historical evidence, the historical documents about Jesus outside the Bible are overwhelming. They overwhelmingly point that Jesus did exist. In fact, there's far more documented evidence of his existence than there is for Caesar, for Plato, or for Homer. And if somebody said, well, Caesar never existed, we would say, no, that's not right. There's historical documents. Well, it's the same with Jesus. There are historical documents apart from Scripture that acknowledge Jesus' ministry. For example, one of those documents written by a Roman senator, Tacitus, he gives a description of Jesus. Now, it's not that he point, goes out of his way to, to discuss Jesus. Here's what's going on. He has this, this um, book that he calls Annals, and it's, it's, if the, it's, the, it's the history of the Roman Empire. It's post-Nero, and as he's describing Nero, he says that, hey, Nero burned down Rome. Now, when Nero was alive, uh, Rome did burn. History says that what happened was he wanted to build a big complex in a certain part of Rome, and the only way to get all those people out of there and to actually get the land flat was to burn it. And in the process of burning that portion, the whole city burned. And so Nero, in retrospect, had to come up with a way to, to figure out what went wrong, and he blamed the Christians. And some years later, the rest of the Roman Empire acknowledged that Nero blamed the, script, the, the, the Christians. Tacitus, this Roman Empire, writes, Nero substituted as culprits and punished in the most unusual way those whom the crowd called Christians. So from, this is from a historical document outside the history of the Bible, where someone is acknowledging that they were Christians. The founder of this name, Christ, had been executed in the reign of Tiberius by the procurator Pontius Pilate. So what's going on there? Why am I bringing that out to you? Because this statement by, Ta by Tacitus corroborates what the Bible says. First of all, it, it, it acknowledges that there was a fellow by the name of Jesus Christ. It acknowledges that that person died and the document then affirms Jesus' existence. But not only does it affirm his existence, but it, it affirms that Jesus had followers. They were called Christians. And the document also affirms what the scriptures say about the timing of Jesus' death, that Jesus was executed when Pontius Pilate was in Jerusalem. In other words, documents outside the Bible affirm Jesus Christ. And Christians, because of those documents, or perhaps from our perspective, more importantly because of the Bible, we believe Jesus truly existed. And the Bible gives a full detailed story of his life. And non-Christian sources corroborate that. And if that's the case, if the Bible does say, and the history, history, historical documents outside the Bible say that Jesus was alive, then we have to say, okay, what did Jesus say? What did he do? What he had to say has to be acknowledged. And the Bible states... This is where it gets more tricky. Not whether or not Jesus existed, but what Jesus had to say. The Bible says that Jesus claimed to be God's son. And if that's not the case, if he's not God's son, then I have to say, friends, he was crazy. 
But if it's true, then his claim demands attention. Here's what I mean. If his claim is untrue, if Jesus was not really God's son, then I really am not particularly interested in following him because if he was simply some crazy itinerant rabbi who got executed as a common criminal and that's the extent of who he was, then everything else about him is a crock because it's like, it doesn't make sense that we would follow. I mean, if you met somebody today and they said, I'm the son of God, would you not be inclined to say, I think that person's a little bit off the rocker. And I've been taking too, too much of something or other. Maybe we need to take him down to the hospital. We would normally go that way and say, we're not going to listen to that guy. But if Je- so if Jesus, if he's not the son of God, then he's a crazy idiot. So we probably never thought of that that way, right, before? But if he is the son of God, as he claimed, then you and I better listen up to what he said and watch what he did. So there's the choice, to believe either what he said or to disagree with what he said. Is he the son of God or is he not the son of God? And what did Jesus do if we say he's the son of God? Well, we know that he walked around Israel's Galilee area some 2,000 years ago. He'd heal sick people. He would speak into the lives of poor people. He would challenge the leaders around him. And it was all well and good. It's great stuff. But it was for the people of that day, 2,000 years ago. His mission was focused on them. But friends, this is what's the key when it comes to Jesus being the Son of God. That his mission was not just for those people, but Jesus was, in fact, God in the flesh. God coming to deal with humanity's need for a change. He is, the scriptures tell us, the full demonstration of God's righteousness. What's that mean? He's the full demonstration of the fact that God is holy and that God has, there's a lack of God whatsoever of any sin or error. Jesus came then not only for the people of his time, but for the people of our time. And why did he come? Because all of humanity and every individual human has a need. Long before you were born, long before the United States were considered a nation, long before Western thought came into being, long before the Middle Ages, long before even Jesus arrived, Heaven decided to send Jesus on your behalf long before you existed. Why? Because you and every other human who has ever lived and who is living today has a need for a better tomorrow as compared to today. We have a need for change because each of us doesn't live up to our full potential. We mess up. We make errors. You know what the Bible calls that? That's a word that we don't like to hear, but the Bible calls that sin. And the result is as we mess up, as we sin, we sin against others. We sin against nature. We sin against ourselves. And we sin against God. I'm reminded of the scripture that we read a few moments ago in this regard. Romans chapter 3 verse 22 says, There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The race, the background of a person doesn't matter. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Why? For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. In other words, all people, Jewish and other races, have a problem. God wants us to have a particular standard of life approach. I'm not talking about a standard of living, but a standard of life approach. So we're supposed to approach this life this way, and we miss the mark. We we, we don't quite get it right. We we fall short is the language of Scripture. Maybe you can think of it this way. When you fall short, when you miss the mark, the first thing that comes to my mind is a bow and arrow, right? And you got got the, the bow string pulled taut, 
and you've got the arrow, and then just before you let the drawstring grow, go, you accidentally drop the arrow. And you let the thing go, but you've missed the mark. You had all the components to do it right, but you missed the mark. Or if it's, uh, here's a baseball, uh, here, here's a baseball metaphor. You've got a lovely bat, and you've got a lovely swing, but you always swing at balls that are way out of the strike zone. That's a problem. You may do some things right, but you've got to wait for the right pitch to come your way. Or if you're into football, when it comes to falling short, we go for a touchdown pass, only to realize that the quarterback called a different play. In other words, you're on the field, you're one of the starters, and everything, and you're all set to go, but you run the wrong direction. If you're a photographer, we aim the camera, we're looking through the lens finder, and it shows the subject in front of us, but then when you look back at the photo, actually everything's out of focus. You got all the stuff you need, but you didn't do it just right. Hockey players and Canadians. Here you go for this one. You got your skates on, but there's no ice in the rink. It's falling short, right? Musicians. You sit in the band, but you got the wrong sheet music. That's a mess. For those who are cooking lunch today, you cook the right recipe, but you left out the main ingredient. Our diamond earrings, they look lovely, but in fact, they are just glass baubles. We have lovely eyeglasses, but the, the prescription is all wrong. Oh, we have really nice colored trousers, but here's the problem. They're five inches too short. That's a problem, right? That's a problem. I got, I've got all the material, but it's just not done right. The car, my car is one fine machine. It's just got one problem. Reverse doesn't work. That's a problem, right? You've got, you got everything, but it's just not quite right. It's falling short. We own a lot of things, but most of it is still on a credit card bill that's unpaid. We're ready to build a house, but have no hammer. We have a house that looks good except for the termites in the wall that others don't see. The ship is ready to sail, but there's a hole in the hull. The plane is on the runway, ready to go. Engines are revving, except it's missing a wing. It's a problem, right? You need to phone home, but you can only remember six of the seven numbers. You got everything you need, but you keep falling short. God says, the scriptures say, all of us have sinned. All of us, even with all the potential that we have as humans, we just come up a little bit short. We fall short of God's plan. We fall short of living in the way in which God wants us to live. We want to live the way God prescribed, but we can't. Why? Because we are sinners. We cannot be righteous in and of ourselves. We'd like to change our behavior, our thinking, our tomorrows, but we fall short. And that's why Jesus came. Read Romans again. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. In other words, where we lack righteousness, it's given to anyone, to anyone who chooses to believe. You suddenly make the mark. You suddenly can pull the drawstring. You suddenly, your pants are suddenly the right length. You can suddenly skate. There's the ice. There's, all of those metaphors are suddenly in play because righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not something you deserve, not something you have to earn. It's just given. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. 
But then, here's the good news. I mean, if you were to stay with me for so far, you're going, well, this is a really depressing sermon. I'm falling short on everything I'm doing. But here's the really good news. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Notice this change that's coming as a result of Jesus Christ. This shift of falling short of the mark. This shift comes through a graceful gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ to all who believe. What do you have to believe? Okay, it says, to anyone who believes, this gift of grace where, you're, where your sin is now no longer counted against you and you now are no longer falling, falling short of the mark, what do you have to believe? You have to believe that Jesus was and is God's son. We believe that Jesus lived a sinless life here on earth, that he died accepting the punishment of our sins, that he rose again defeating the death that comes from missing the mark, that he died and rose again to bring new life to our tomorrows. And if so, how should we respond? Well, notice notice the scripture again. Righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to what? To all who believe. You choose to believe. You choose to believe that Jesus died for you, for your sins, for your shortcomings. You choose to, we, I, here's what I do. I choose to believe he's got a better today, tomorrow planned for me as compared today. I choose to believe his grace for today is available for today and the events of tomorrow. And that means my tomorrow will be different. The difference isn't based on what I do or don't do. It's not based on whether or not I win the lottery. It's not based on anything that I'm responsible for. My world will be better based on this action. That I will believe, and then everything that God has done through Jesus Christ is, if here's the language, has been appropriated to my life. That Jesus Christ came to this earth for the sake of humanity and for my sake as an individual. Friends, think about this. If the God of all heaven was planning this long before you were born, if God was planning that for your behalf long before you ever showed up, Imagine what his work can do in you as you join with that even tomorrow. I'm justified, you are justified. We're we're brought back up to speed. We're brought back up to the measure freely by God's grace. I don't deserve it, you don't deserve it. But I've got great news. It's God's gift for you and God's gift for me through Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me please, friends? Lord, ah, Thank you for sending Jesus Christ. I thank you that he has made a difference in my life and the lives of literally millions of people now in this world and in this time, but in in years gone by. In other eras, people have come to the place where they've said they choose to believe that Jesus is God's son. We understand, Lord, the scripture that says that we have fallen short, that we're not making the mark. And we've got lots of potential. We've got lots of ways in which our lives can be made right and we we can pull up our lives by the bootstraps, if you will. We can get more education. We can do some things with determination. But when it comes to who we are inside, we are aware that we fall short. God, forgive us. Forgive us of our sin. And in doing so, God, we're choosing to believe. We're choosing to believe that, God, you sent Jesus as your son, that he died for us, that he died for me. I don't know that I can take that in fully but I'm so glad that I'm so glad that that's what I'm choosing to believe and now his life is working through me 
My tomorrows are better than my today. And I'm, I'm relying on you for that. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand together, please, in all three rooms? And uh, here's what's going to happen right now. In all three rooms, uh, there are people who are followers of Jesus Christ who might say, I've got an issue that I'd like to talk with someone about and pray about. It's within my life or it's my cousin that's halfway across the country or some situation, and you'd like to pray about that, we'd love to pray with you about it. And so there'll be leaders in all three rooms who'll be glad to pray. And uh, perhaps as Christians step forward for that, you're also here today and say, man, I'd like to know about this Christian business. What does it mean to have my sins forgiven? What does it mean for me to meet the mark and how can I believe? If you'd like to have that conversation, we'd invite you to step forward at this time as well. You come as we sing together.